Welcome to Episode 1 of the GateWorld Podcast. This program is coming to you straight from GateWorld.net, the Internet's largest Stargate website. For the very latest Stargate news, interviews, photos, and special features, visit us on the web at www.gateworld.net. In this inaugural edition, we'll talk about Friday's season premiere of Stargate Atlantis, Search and Rescue. But first, in this and every podcast, we'll run down the latest news from the Stargate universe and tell you a little bit about the newest additions to GateWorld. You'll also get an exclusive sneak preview of our upcoming interview with actor Robert Picardo, who joins the cast of Atlantis this year as Richard Woolsey. So get ready. The first installment of the GateWorld podcast starts right now. Thanks so much for tuning in to our very first podcast. My name is Darren Sumner, and I'm the owner and founder of GateWorld.net. We've been publishing news and interviews, analyzing episodes, and discussing Stargate over in the forum for almost nine years now, and we decided it's finally time to take the next leap into podcasting. Joining me in this podcast is David Reed, GateWorld's co-editor, who has been with the site since 2004. David, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Great. David, you also worked for about a year and a half at Cheyenne Mountain Entertainment, which is currently developing the highly anticipated video game Stargate Worlds. Yes, yes. I was there for um, about a year and a half and uh, had a really good time there. And uh, I also took over for you, uh, don't forget, for uh, Stargate Magazine. So that's going really well. Yeah, Yeah, Titan Magazine is is putting out the official magazine every couple of months and... uh, you and I have had the opportunity to help them out with their news section. Yeah, that's that's such a privilege. I mean, I mean, you do you do these websites, and you know that's that's a lot of fun. And then to get your name in print, it's like the a whole new dimension. You yeah. know. Yeah. So. Well, you're probably the biggest Stargate fan that I know. In addition, and to you're your... the biggest Stargate <laughs> fan I know. You have the <laughs> exhaustive, exhaustive, and exhausting knowledge of Stargate, which uh, sees its print form in the Stargate Omnipedia, which you've written yeah. the lion's yeah. share of, for sure. And I, I'd like to say right now that I apologize for um, for letting it go um, so behind. You know, it it deserves uh, more updates than it's been getting, and uh, that's one of uh, that's one of our goals for the uh, for the website to get that up to date. Yeah, well. So. We have all these great ambitious plans to update the Omnipedia every single week and update the episode guide with new analysis every single week and columns and blogs and interviews. The day, there's, there's still two of us. Yeah, yeah. Is that a hint? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. Anyone out there, help us out, please. <laughs> Here's your look at the latest Stargate news from GateWorld for July 15, 2008. The fifth season of Stargate Atlantis got off to a great start on Friday, July 11th. Lieutenant Colonel John Shepard and the team returned in Search and Rescue, the first episode of Season 5. Fan reaction to the big season opener has been largely positive since the episode was originally leaked online three weeks ago. Amanda Tapping guest starred in the episode but is no longer a full-time cast member. Replacing Samantha Carter as the commander of the Atlantis base this year is Richard Woolsey, played by Robert Picardo. But I want you to know I'm here as an observer only. I have no intention of getting involved in the day-to-day operations of the base. 
Picardo played the Doctor on Star Trek Voyager, and though he only showed up at the end of last week's episode, he'll step up this Friday in the new episode, The Seed. But don't worry, Carter fans. We'll see Sam again before the season is over. That's refreshing. We'll talk more about Search and Rescue later in this podcast. Season 4 of Stargate Atlantis is now available on DVD. The five-disc set is in stores throughout North America and includes all 20 episodes, audio commentaries, deleted scenes, featurettes on Amanda Tapping and Paul McGillian, and much more. Particularly exciting in this release is the Atlantis bloopers, the first time ever that a blooper reel has been released for a Stargate series. I'm excited to see the blooper reel. Yeah, yeah, I've, I was told that it's about 10 minutes long, so or a little less than that maybe, but uh, it's, a, it's a good amount. That'll be great. Every, every year we have the chance to go up and visit the set and see them filming, and those guys are so hilarious, and they just have such a great time doing it. Yeah, David Hewlett should have like a whole disc to himself every single year. The Sci-Fi Channel has announced that Amanda Tapping's new fantasy series, Sanctuary, will premiere on October 3rd taking over for Stargate Atlantis after the show finishes its summer run this September. The two-hour premiere of Sanctuary will be a total reworking of the show's 2007 internet premiere, which was retooled and reshot. Amanda executive produces the show and stars as Helen Magnus, a 157-year-old scientist who leads a secret organization that tracks down monsters and other unique individuals. Beloved actor Don S. Davis passed away recently on June 29th, suffering a fatal heart attack at the age of 65. Davis co-starred in Stargate SG-1 for seven years, leaving his indelible mark on the show as General George Hammond. Don is survived by a son and wife, Ruby Fleming Davis, and he will be greatly missed by his friends, family, and the fans of his work all over the world. Visit Gate World for a special tribute to this wonderful man. David, you and I had the opportunity to meet Don a couple of years ago. We went to his uh, agency and interviewed him for the site, and he's just, he was such a tremendous guy. So straightforward, so absolutely honest, and just a whole lot of fun to talk to and to listen to him tell stories. Yeah, I can't, I can't mince when it comes to Don. I mean, I had, um, I had a special connection with him because he and I uh, went to the same college uh, for uh, uh, university, and I met him a few years before at GateCon. Uh, brought along, uh, he was on the cover of uh, the Southern Alumni, which is like a Saluki alumni magazine, and uh, he hadn't had a chance to see it, and uh, uh, he found out that way that um, that I was also a fellow Saluki, and and we just we just bonded. I've uh, he he's one of those guys like Amanda Tapping, recognizes you every time he sees you. You know, has mm-hmm. just a great memory of his fans. You know, fans. You know that that's important to them. You know when, when when they see a celebrity for the second time, there's someone that they they particularly fond of, and they go, "Oh hey, how you doing?" He was a class act. He really was. You know, and I I didn't realize how much he meant to me until he was gone. I I have to be honest about that. Finally, the countdown continues for Stargate Continuum, the newest SG One adventure, which arrives on DVD and Blu-ray disc in just two weeks. Gateworld had a chance to see this film on the big screen with the cast and crew this spring when we were in Vancouver, and uh, I think it's an awesome movie. Jack O'Neill it's is, great. Jack O'Neill is back. Uh, Richard Dean Anderson is back in fine form. Um, you know, the film follows uh, doesn't follow Jack O'Neill. It's not a Jack O'Neill movie, uh, but it follows Sam and Cameron and Daniel on an adventure that there, there have been some comparisons made to episodes like Mobius, but I think this, this story is really unlike anything that we've seen on the show before. 
Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely stands on its own two feet really well as well, you know. And some people who have um, who have uh, seen the film as already as well, um, surprise, it surprised me the number of people who have who have said that they don't really care for it. And I, I just don't think that they've given it a proper chance. You know, I mean, this is I think they were expecting something that the film was never meant to be. I mean, they've been hyping up the Arctic for for well over a year now. And the Arctic is only a piece of the film. You know, it's not about. It's, that's not what the movie is about, you know. It's it's just a good, it's a good time travel romp. It's um, it's a time travel story for SG one that has never been told in this manner before, and it was just, it was just refreshing. Yeah, um, it seems to me this is this is a whole issue that we could get into in a future podcast. But it seems to me that the Stargate franchise has reached a point in, in how old it is and how much material is out there. And fans who have who have been with it from the beginning versus who have come in in recent years, fans of of Atlantis who have not necessarily seen a whole lot of SG One, the mm-hmm. franchise is at the point where it seems like it's it's a lot easier to criticize stuff. So, so mm-hmm. some of our favorite episodes from seasons two, three, four of SG One, um, you know, if you showed those right now to a brand new fan, um, they they may not hold up as well. Well, Darren, they've done almost 300 episodes. I mean, how long can you go before, I mean, some of the episodes are just monotonous, you know? And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the series, but I'm also a very critical fan of the series. I'm, I'm not easy to please, and there are some clunkers in there. And I know that Brad or Rob, I mean, they've told us the exact same things, you know? I mean, Brad's more than eager to list the episodes that he doesn't like. But, you know, I yeah. mean, by, and, by and large... would just uh, disappear from canon. Yeah, but they're there, so... And it's interesting that he's going back and redoing Children of the Gods. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. We should have word of that pretty soon, don't you think? Yeah, they were talking about it possibly uh, being available to be released before the end of the year, but it's something that Fox may want to hold until 2009. We'll definitely keep our ears to the ground. We'll have much more on Continuum in next week's podcast. Now here's a look at the newest additions to GateWorld.net. This week at GateWorld, you can win a trip for two to Comic-Con in San Diego. GateWorld and Fox Home Entertainment will send one lucky winner and a guest to the massive geek event taking place in San Diego at the end of July. Included in the prize package is airfare, hotel accommodations, tickets for two days at Comic-Con, and VIP tickets to the world premiere screening of Stargate Continuum on board the USS Midway. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You're never going to be able to do anything quite like it again. Enter GateWorld Stargate Continuum Comic-Con sweepstakes now on the site. You must be 18 at least, and you must be a U.S. resident, and you must enter by July 17th. Tune in also to the interview section at GateWorld for our new interview with actor David Hewlett. David, of course, plays Dr. Rodney McKay on Stargate Atlantis, and David Reed and I had a chance to sit down with him on the set this spring. Here's a clip. Katie dumped me pretty good, I think, is the, is the basic, the basic uh, idea that we're not... I mean, again, McKay is absolutely... is, is, is basically, um, you know, special needs relationship. I mean, he has no sense of how to maintain or create a relationship. He doesn't... He's, he so seems to he seems to hate himself so much he finds it very difficult for to that you know God help you if you actually like him because that is instantly a sign of weakness as far as I think he's concerned. Um, but what's what's happened is I mean with the introduction of the Keller character, 
um, you know, there's there's definitely been an interesting sort of shift there because this is somebody who, you know, who he hasn't built up into a sort of mythical figure like 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 uh, like Carter. Um, or Katie. And, you know, or Katie. Yeah, true, true. Um, you know, and someone someone that sort of, I mean, this is this is I guess really the first female friend that that McKay would probably ever have had so and it sort of snuck up on him which I think is, is a, a definitely a different thing for for McKay to deal with. GateWorld's 30-minute interview with David Hewlett is now online. You can also download it to your iPod or MP3 player by subscribing to the GateWorld AudioCast on iTunes. And we're proud to announce the launch of a major new section of the site, the Stargate Image Gallery. This archive includes more than 200,000 images Woo-hoo. from 12 years of Stargate history. It was a lot, including high-resolution set photography, cast photos, and hundreds of DVD-quality screen captures from every episode of Stargate SG-1, Atlantis, and, yes, Infinity. You'll also find screen caps from the original Stargate movie and Stargate The Arc of Truth. Our gallery from Stargate Continuum will be uploaded in August, and we're excited to be able to provide this immense resource for the Stargate fan community. I've got to tell you, I use this thing every day it for really my work. It really is huge. You know, I don't know how you managed to get all that done in about six weeks. Well, I had an amazing team um, who helped me do it, uh-huh. and these guys, uh, about uh, 13 or, or 15 people, we all got together and um, we laid out the battle plan. And we said, okay, this is an awful lot of data that we have to kick out. We have exactly one month to do it. Um, and do you mind if I give them all a shout-out really quick here? Please do. Uh, Andreas, Admiral QO, Ali Peeps, Dan Chris, DJ Girl, Eric Pasternak, Jan Sam, Jedi Master Braytac, Chris, Lotus Black, Rosehawk, Saberblade, Spaceman, Steph, and T-Sax Lady. Uh, you guys are the best. Um, uh, we... We could not have launched this section without you. And like I said before, I use it every day. You know, I'm going to get to the point where I don't know what I would have done without it. Among the newest videos available now in GateWorld Play, our streaming video channel, is a very special interview with Amanda Tapping. We caught up with her over at the Sanctuary office in Vancouver, and she sat down and told us some really wonderful stories about her interactions with Stargate fans over the years. And finally, don't miss our upcoming interview with actor Robert Picardo, the newest cast member of Stargate Atlantis. Here's uh, just a little preview for GateWorld podcast listeners.
GateWorld's exclusive interview with Robert Picardo will be available later this week on the website and on iTunes. Our main topic of discussion for this first inaugural podcast is Search and Rescue, the season premiere of Stargate Atlantis. Here's a clip from the episode. All right, we've got four life signs in two different locations. First two should be right beneath us. Listen. McKay, is that you? Oh, thank God, yes. I'm trapped down here with Lorne. We're fine. Hey, Doc, right, right. Okay, Lauren's got a broken leg. All right, McKay, stay put. We've got combat engineers here. We're going to dig you out. Well, hurry up. David, uh, how do you think season five starts out for Atlantis? I was really pleased with, with a lot of the show. I will say, though, I don't think it's the strongest season premiere uh, for Atlantis so far. Uh, I think the ratings will reflect, reflect that. I, I sure hope that they don't. But it was a very good start um, to what's probably going to be a very good season. Um, what do you think was the best season premiere that the show has had so far? <sighs> Obviously, maybe set aside Rising, which was the I've really, series premiere. You know, I loved the Siege Part 3. You know, that was that was an intense episode one of the one of the reasons yeah one of the reasons was that season one ended so well and and so season two had the benefit of such a fantastic springboard and one of my issues with with the very end of season four most of season four i just thought was fantastic but one of my issues with the end of season four was you know it's it's one thing the uh the uh the episode is is one thing. It starts off as one thing with, with Shepard being in the future. And you mm-hmm. expect the climax to be about Shepard getting back. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I pictured uh, what was the, the Heroes episode, Five Years Gone, where the climax of that episode is, is beating down your foe in order to jump back in time. I was expecting Michael to have hibernated for hundreds of thousands of years or however long it was and then and then like somewhere in atlantis and then him to show up and and shepherd have to fight him to get through the gate or fight some of his army but there's no evidence of them whatsoever and the episode finishes um a lot different than what you'd expect you know i the 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 building crumbles on them and i did not see that coming a and b to me personally it wasn't all that satisfying so that's that was the inertia that they had to springboard into into season 5 and that was one of the reasons why i didn't think that it was some um, the best season opener yet but the episode overall was very well done and there there were some there were some terrific scenes in it i mean i mean taylor giving birth that was that was great i was not expecting us to see that yeah i agree about about the last man the season 4 premiere or season 4 finale it 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 was was a really great episode but it felt like that ending was sort of tacked on you expect the climax to be about john getting home and yeah Instead, it's it's like the climax of the episode wasn't in there. Uh, instead, we just see John arriving through the Stargate. Uh, it's it's obviously easy for us to sort of armchair quarterback uh, months after the work has been done. Right. But, yeah. Uh, you know, when I was I was watching, sort of my sense of story, it, it felt like the episode should have ended with 
Shepard awaking from stasis 700 years later and there's this crisis and he's got to get to the gate. The city's maybe collapsing all around him or something. So there's, there's a last minute crisis where he has to fix everything in history that's gone so terribly wrong by making it to the Stargate. And, you know, that's, yeah. that's sort of the wonderful, iconic imageries from, from Stargate history is, is in, like, season four of SG-1 did 2010. And the yeah. climax of that episode was yeah. we finally managed to reach the Stargate. It's a fight to the death to get through it, you know. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, you know, I enjoyed Search and Rescue a whole lot more the second time I watched it. The first time. Really? Uh, yeah. I thought the first time it felt like it was just sort of a by-the-numbers episode that, you know, we set up a problem with, with Taylor being missing and about to give birth, and we've got to rescue her from Michael, and we're, we're stuck under a collapsed building. Um, you know, we just sort of have to jump through the hoops to get those beats done. But the second time I watched it, I think uh, as a, an episode, it really holds up very, very well. Um, I, I would have liked, I think, the collapsed building stuff maybe to be taken off the end of Last Man and not have been the cliffhanger and then put into this episode so that it's sort of mm-hmm. more self-contained. As the teaser? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That would have been more interesting. I mean, I mean, you have your cast members collapsed under a building, you know, at the very end. It's not like you're going to kill all of them, you know? I mean, there are... Or it's not like you're going to necessarily kill any of them. There, there are just some things that are a dead given. But I will give them props for taking that kind of a chance because the last man the the storytelling especially near the end was not by the books and and it's extremely important in storytelling nowadays to make the the writing more and more sophisticated because if not you know i'll just turn it off you know yeah well it it takes a lot more to hold my interest obviously by doing things that we're not expecting and by by doing things that we can't predict with our sort of innate sense of story from watching television for so many years Um, they're they're keeping us guessing. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's why watch something if you know how it's going to end. And that's one of the things that I hate about spoilers so much. Just, just you know, that's that's my personal opinion. It's just I don't I have no interest in in watching something just to see how they executed it because I already know how it goes. So, but that's another discussion entirely. It is. That's a great topic for <laughs> conversation. Um, David's more of a uh, avoid spoilers as much as possible, as much as his job will allow him to avoid spoilers. <laughs> it's which is very hard. And I'm you... more of a. I think the technical term is spoiler whore. No, you are not a spoiler whore. That's not true. It may have been, but it's not anymore. <laughs> You know, the shows that I enjoy the most, uh, in addition to Stargate, are those shows where I really don't know spoilers. I don't know what's going to happen exactly. on, on Lost or on Heroes. Yeah. Here's something else that I wanted to observe about the episode was, every once in a while a Stargate episode comes along where it feels like it's, it's uh, sort of cut down the middle. There are two stories being attached uh, and there's a story here. The first half of the episode is is the heroes are trapped in the rubble, and we have to rescue them. And then there's sort of this transition scene on board the the Daedalus, and the second half of the episode is all the space stuff on board Michael's hive trying to rescue Taylor. What do you think about that that sort of disjointed two stories basically being put together in the same 45 minute chunk? Well, I'm very cautious. It's like Prometheus and Unnatural Selection, distinctly two-parters, um, but you know, I, one one does not necessarily feed off the other. Like Heroes Part One and Heroes Part Two, 
I think it's uh, the the strength of each of the parts has to be solid in order for it to work because you only have 22 minutes to tell each little piece, you know, if you're going to transition from one to the other. That was also one of the reasons why I thought Camelot was so successful was because you had that Arthurian first half and then you had the absolutely astounding um, space battle stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the Ori coming through the Supergate for the first time. Yep. At the end of season nine. That's, you know, Camelot is actually exactly what I'm thinking of. That's the first episode where I really started to notice, hey, this story kind of ended at about the 30 or 40 minute mark, and we got something that's really rather disjointed that follows it. Exactly. I, I wouldn't mind seeing more of that um, in, uh, in modest doses. <laughs> as long as it's done well, you know, as long as each part can stand on its own well, or one part can feed into the other part. Well, I have no, I have no bones with with uh, that kind of storytelling. It's one of my issues with Battlestar Galactica. Is, uh, I mean, the entire series, like half the episodes, they show the climax first, and then they and then they go back two days or go back, go back ten hours or something, and, and tell you the rest. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's fine, but enough is enough. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Atlantis did that with um, the arc. In season three, the arc starts with Shepard in his spacesuit riding the the planet planetoid, uh, and then it it sort of cuts back to however many hours earlier. Right, and they did. I mean, th- that's that's a classic sci-fi storytelling. It's done more traditionally with Tabula Rasa, where you see the um, you see the, uh, the McKay tied to a chair, and you you continually go back and forth and back and forth between the episodes and. And you, you piece it together that way. So that's also interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, the, the producers sort of remind us again and again that Stargate Atlantis is an action-adventure show, which I can appreciate. This is not Battlestar Galactica. This is not a drama. This is not Lost. Uh, it, it is what it is. It's, it's of sort of a subtly, a subtly different type of, of genre, type of storytelling. So I can appreciate that they didn't want to do an entire episode buried under the rubble with character moments as much as we love those character moments. And Search and Rescue had some really great ones, especially between Shepard and Ronan, where they decide that they're, they're probably not going to survive this and they're going down together. And Shepard says, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. You understand yeah. why it, if Atlantis is an action-adventure show, you want to get on out of there and you want to get up and have the space battle not to mention resolving the, the outstanding plot issue of Taylor being, being missing and needing to be rescued. Exactly. Yeah, that was kind of lingering. But, you know, on the other hand, Stargate is, has done some really outstanding character drama pieces like um, Abyss and yeah. uh, maybe Divide and Conquer, depending on your Heroes. Taste. Heroes. Uh, although Heroes had a little bit of running and gunning in it. Uh, but, you know, think about an episode like Abyss. This is a, a really slow-paced very steady character drama about Jack O'Neill and Daniel Jackson. It's not an action-adventure hour. Those are usually my favorites. For a long time, one of uh, my favorite episodes was Solitudes, you know, and Brad Wright has, has said, you know, he, he sticks two people in a room to save money and then uh, uh, Rob can go and blow stuff up, you know, but the, those episodes like Solitudes and um, Abyss, you know, those are some usually more of my favorites. You know, because you, you, you get to see those characters for who they really are. Yeah. Well, anything else about Search and Rescue that you want to talk about? There's been lots of buzz on the board about characters, about John acting against the orders, uh, about Dr. Keller being weak and whether or not she gave in to Shepard. 
There's a huge debate about Asgard beaming technology and why we suddenly can't beam when the shields are raised. Yeah, you know, uh, the hybrids... Um... The hybrids strike me as extremely weak. Not only are they just basically humans running around without armor who you can shoot, but they're apparently really easy to turn, too. Their brainwashing is not extremely thorough. Yeah, it didn't take much for, for Taylor to um, to get through to Kanan, which which kind of uh, surprised me. Um, I mean, they're they're setting up this new this new class of species or class of human, and and the one that we know, the only one that we know, is is only pretending to work for Michael. So that's a risk, and it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Yeah, I really have to wonder if they're not resilient fighters and if they're not undyingly loyal to Michael then does he really have them around for any purpose other than to push yeah. buttons so that he can have his ship fly around the galaxy yeah you know and, and, and don't get me wrong I think it's much better than a giant iratus bug standing there pushing buttons mm-hmm. so but um, it's going to be I'm, it's going to be interesting to where they to see where they take this you know and what about that puddle jumper at the very end where did that puddle jumper go did you did you figure that one out well, we have a missing puddle jumper and uh, a bad guy who we did not see get killed. So yeah. you have well, to wonder. Typical Stargate for you, yeah. Yeah, leaving the leaving the stories open, you have to wonder if if Michael is really dead. Of course, was he on that ship or did he make it off the ship? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, if he made it off the ship, how can a wraith human hybrid suddenly operate a puddle jumper? Which you that is a very good question. Need the ancient gene to be able to operate. Yeah, you know, those every time you add something like a transporter tracking device or oh what was one of the the Asgard beaming technology even, you know? I mean, you have to you have to constantly ride around it. And they did that in Search and Rescue. They had um uh one of the characters give the line, "Taylor's um Taylor's transmitter was disabled," you know? And as soon as I I remember when they introduced those tags in uh uh-huh. in uh in Off the Grid, and I knew that this was going to cause problems. <laughs> yeah, it helps for one as... story, but it's going to be a problem for the future. Yeah, that was one of the interesting that they, things that they did with the uh, with the midway. You know, when when they destroyed the midway, you know, they were they were eliminating one of their conveniences. You know, and at first I was like, oh man, but then it was like, you know, this is probably for the better. And it made for a nice big boom at the end of that episode. Yes, big booms. Big booms are good. Well, Taylor's baby is finally here, and Michael, fortunately, did not abscond with the cute little bugger. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries again, though. Torin, but, John, uh, and Magan. You know, I thought her father's name was Tagan. You know, in the, uh, the original script, the casting sides that we saw for Rising, the series premiere, uh, there was a lot more described about Tagan. Maybe it was Rising, maybe it was The Gift. Uh, there's a lot more about Tagan, who was described as as Taylor's father. I think the only line that's actually made it on screen is is when she introduces herself as the daughter of Tagan. No, so, um, Sharon. Sharon mentions Tagan. Okay, so that is definitely the name of her father, and not maybe her yep. mother or her grandfather or something. No, it's her. It's her father's name. So yeah, Sharon. Sharon, I believe mentioned him in the gift. She might have mentioned him in um, Critical Mass. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah. Well, you know, my explanation for this is going to be that um, I am named after my father, and my son is named after my father and my grandfather, in that we all share the same middle name. 
So maybe Torn is Tagan's middle name. Possibly, yeah. It's just it's a really interesting kink that they introduced there, you know, where you have to ask yourself, what's 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 this about, you know? Or this is something similar that they did um, with uh, in season eight. Uh, they they the episode from there was a, there's uh, an episode in season two where there was a planet called Madrona, and uh, in the season eight episode um, zero hour, I think it was zero hour. Uh, they called it Madronus, mm. or yeah. and I was or was or was that? Um, I think it was uh, Homecoming. Uh, are you sh- no, I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking it was um, Fallout. They were going to resettle. Yeah, one of the one of the episodes with Jonas's people. They were going to resettle them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. So it must have been Fallout. And just little things like that, you know, like you, you ask yourself, why did they change that? Or, or um, one of the other classic ones was the Asgard planet, Othala, in the galaxy of yeah. Ida, yeah. and then the galaxy becomes Othala. Yeah. You know. So when we're it's doing just... the Omnipedia, we have to keep all those details straight. <laughs> and in order to explain yeah. them as not a contradiction, yeah. you have to start saying things like, okay, well, apparently. The Asgard are populated in a galaxy named Othala, and they also have a planet mm-hmm. named Othala. It, it just comes down to production, you know? I mean, the the cannons ring in Season 3, they bring it back in Season 8 for Vala's healing ring, and, you know, I mean, that, that it's, just, it's just a bear to keep after all that sort of stuff, you know? When it comes down to it at the end of the day, you know, it's just a TV show, and it's supposed to be fun, and not necessarily supposed to be dissected completely. Yeah. Got to give credit. But we certainly have fun dissecting it anyway. Exactly. Search and Rescue ends with Richard Woolsey announcing to Sam that he has been appointed by the IOA to be the new commander of the Atlantis expedition. And, of course, we'll have much more to say about Woolsey when we actually see him on Atlantis in next yeah. week's episode, The Seed. Yeah, that was a pretty gutsy ending. I bet there were there were a number of fans who, who said, huh, I'm not going to be a fan of Woolsey after that kind of a statement, you know. Um, yeah, he seemed to announce but, uh, it in sort of a flip way. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons I think that they were so careful about interest, introducing Cameron. Some of the first words out of his mouth, or I think the first words were, remember, we're here to protect SG-1, you know. And I, I could just see see myself, you know, this is, I can see where they're going with this. You know, they don't want another Jonas Quinn. They don't want the, the fandom to be divided down the center because of an actor's absence. So, and I know that Woolsey's going to vouch for the team, you know, as as he does later in uh, season in season five, which should be a really interesting episode. So, mm-hmm. so it's it's good to have him back. I'm Robert Picardo, is my favorite actor of all time. Yeah, and, you and I are both uh, big fans of of Bob Picardo. Uh, in my in my household, we are currently watching all the way through Star Trek Voyager. Yep, uh, we're about me too. Third of the way through season four right now, and he's just so much fun to watch. I can't wait to see how he. He and the writers make Richard Woolsey a, a full three-dimensional sympathetic character. Yeah, Woolsey is no no the doctor, but still, you know, I mean, that actor, that was just a great move bringing him aboard. If we're going to lose Carter, let's let's go with, or if we're going to lose Amanda Tapping, God love her, we're going to have to go with someone who, who carries a lot of weight, and, and Robert Picardo definitely does that. Absolutely. 
Here's a preview of what's uh, coming up in the next episode of Stargate Atlantis, The Seed. Uh, fans of Dr. Carson Beckett won't want to miss this Friday's new episode. An alien organism puts Dr. Keller out of commission and threatens the base, prompting the team to bring Carson out of stasis for help. You notice he grew his hair in stasis. Um, Paul McGillian returns as the good doctor, setting the stage for his recurring role in five episodes this season. The Seed airs Friday at 10 p.m. 9 central on the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, and uh, Beckett's hair also got a lot darker in stasis, apparently. Yeah, you know, that was really interesting, you know. Uh, it's when, like, Fifth, you know, when we see Fifth in, in New Order, you know, his hair has gotten longer and curlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just it's another one of those things, you know, where, huh. What does a replicator need with a haircut? Exactly. Thanks for joining us for GateWorld's very first podcast. We'd love to hear what you think of this broadcast and what you'd like to hear in future episodes. Just send an email to webmaster at gateworld.net or visit GateWorld Forum and look for the podcast feedback thread. In this inaugural installment, we recapped the latest news from the Stargate universe and chatted a bit about the season premiere of Stargate Atlantis. In next week's podcast, we'll look at Friday's episode, The Seed, and we'll go inside the making of Stargate Continuum with exclusive interviews with writer Brad Wright and director Martin Wood. From gateworld.net, this is Darren Sumner, and I'm David Reed. And you've been listening to the Gate World Podcast.